It's Wednesday, folks, and you know what that means. It's time for The Pursuit with Mr. Adam X on the Out of Bounds Network. This podcast is sponsored by Sierra Nevada. We're inviting drinkers to get curious and go summer with Sierra Nevada. Try ziplining for the first time, climbing your bucket list mountain, discover hidden lakes, and dive in. Whatever it is, Sierra Nevada is your sidekick for summer exploration. If you haven't tried Sierra Nevada summer break yet, you are blowing it, is what my friends tell me. Uh, but seriously, everyone that I've that I have like given or passed on or told about this summer break seasonal from Sierra Nevada is just like blown away. From what I gather, it's hoppy notes of mango and passion fruit backed by a smooth malt flavor. I'm not lying to you that every single person that I have handed a summer break from Sierra Nevada has wanted another one. So go out, try some, send me pictures of it, tag me in your posts. Uh, I want to see you guys camping this weekend and I want to see your Sierra Nevada photos. So tag at Mr. Adam X, use your hashtag go summer, uh, tag at Sierra Nevada. They have a giveaway, a go con- a go summer contest. You can win an outdoor uh, adventure. So again, tag at Mr. Adam X, tag at Sierra Nevada, and use hashtag go summer. Go out, get some summer seasonal. Tell me what you think about it. This partnership has been nothing but amazing. So I'm super happy to promote it, and they're super happy to support me. So last housekeeping sierra nevada the official beer of camping anyway my guest this week is my close friend my homie my mentor my person to complain to he's just an overall amazing human and his name is pat Meehan. Pat Meehan has worked from everyone from, I don't know if you guys remember that Pret Helmet boom back in the day. Not even, I mean, a couple years ago. Pat was the guy behind that. The brilliant marketing that Lakey Poles had for the last couple years. Pat was behind that. You probably saw him selling Liberty Skis 10 years ago. That was Pat. He's back. He just hopped on with a new gig with Function Face Masks. I believe he is, and he'll be able to tell you in the podcast, but I believe his official title is U.S. Sales Manager. So Pat's on the show. He's amazing. He's a homie. It's actually my first in-person interview, which, holy cow, guys, it's amazing. Let me tell you that. Jabber's been talking about it for weeks, how he loves the in-person, and I haven't done it yet because I started this during a global pandemic so i sat down with pat we shot the shit i really enjoyed the conversation i hope you enjoy the conversation as well final housekeeping i think i might have said that but final 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 please like please subscribe please review that's what we need from you guys that helps that helps me that helps you if there's any guests you want to hear let me know. I'll find them. I'll add them. I'll slide into their DMs. I will get them. Uh, if there's someone, if you're listening and you want to be on the show and you think you have a story to tell, slide into my DMs at Mr. Edmx. Obviously, I can't have everybody on the show, but I'm this. This is a platform to 
to introduce other people to other people and share stories and that's what we want to do so with that being said like share review episode whatever with pat meehan I just hate that you can hear me breathing. Oh, don't breathe. I think I'm good. Does that mean we started? Okay, Pat. We are live. This is my first in-person interview with my good friend, Pat Meehan. Who are you? What do you do? Tell us your story. Perfect. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Off to a bad start. I love it. I'm a big, mediocre fan of all atoms everywhere. But no, my name's Pat Meehan. I live in Buffalo, New York, getting ready to transplant myself to Denver in about a month. Um, long-time ski industry vet. Um, just been chasing free lift tickets for about 20 years now and accidentally turned it into a career. Yeah, was that always the plan, to be a ski industry guy? It was just about free lift tickets. Picked up skiing completely on my own when I was 17 years old, was instantly hooked. Uh, Knew that it was something I could not afford to do on my own, so I started ski instructing. Went from ski instructing to the rental shop to the terrain park. Then I started working back shop in a ski shop, worked my way up to manager there. Realized that the ski reps were the rock stars of the industry, so I figured out how to work for a ski rep for a while. Alleged, alleged, alleged. The the perspective is that they are the rock stars. The reality is quite, quite different. But yeah, just kind of like worked my way through. Just wanted to do a little bit more, a little bit more, and recently started as the national sales manager for Functionwear. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, man. It is, uh, does not seem real. It's like, it's one of those things that you like definitely manifest. Like I'm now working for a really cool company based out of Denver. That's hyper-focused on sustainability. My boss is a longtime friend, been buddies with him for over 15 years. We met at the ski show the last year. It was in Las Vegas, stayed pretty good buddies throughout all the years. And I always thought it would be neat to work together, but you know, never really made an effort towards that. And then through the course of the last year, through some personal personal turmoil, or I don't know the best way to describe it, personal stuff with me and stuff that was going on with them, the stars aligned halfway through COVID, and, and here we are. What led you to that? Because I know, like I know a lot of your history, but most people don't. So you, you said you, you know, self-taught skier, wanted free lift tickets you started at swain right started skiing at swain and you were kind of like from what i gather you kind of helped like the park scene back then which was literally like odd to think about but almost 20 years ago yeah it's kind of cool um me and a couple buddies started something that we called the drc which was the dead rooster crew i actually forgot about this completely until you just mentioned it it was just like our local like crew of shredders and we wanted to have contests at Swain and like no one was doing it. So we just started throwing these little jam contests. And at the same time, I was working at the local ski shop. So from the beginning, you know, September, Labor Day, when the season started until mid-January, I would just call every sales rep like every single day begging for swag. 
And then we would have like this big contest. Like one year it started as just a rail jam and it grew and grew to where it turned into like a three-day event. We had wall ride, uh, rail jam, actually made up this event that I called Jib Yahtzee where we would we would create a scorecard with all these different things like go bonk a tree somewhere, go slide a rail on this trail and like we'd have judges at them and you had to like write it all down and um, we ended up growing up to where it was like over a hundred kids showing up to this contest. And I was literally like 18, no experience, no plan. It was just like, Hey, no one's doing anything. So let's just do this for ourselves. And that kind of, I mean, I don't think you planned that, but that like ended up shaping your career. Like you were, you've done, I mean, you went into a sales rep role and then you went into managing and organizing events for Red Bull and Lakey and now where you are now with function, but like, I think we should touch on that. No, it's funny. It, it definitely was the, the foundation of an event marketing career that I didn't know I had an event marketing career until like looking back on it in a way. Like I, you know, I did that stuff on my own, just doing events cause it was fun and I wanted to, um, that ended up being kind of successful and, and just fun. So anytime there was like any event going on anywhere, I would always try to be a part of it. And then, when I made the move to Buffalo, ended up linking up with the Red Bull guys, which is where you and I met initially, um, was on the upstate New York marketing team, just doing events like motocross, Unadilla, um, some of the local qualifying things for the Red Bull Signature Series, some musical events. We did uh, a couple of the Travis Rice movie premieres, and it was just a really neat, um, it was such a neat experience because it was my it was like my part-time summer job away from the real job during the winter time, but I learned so much. And again, like it was building towards this event marketing career that fe- always felt like a hobby, but that was a huge part in what ended up landing me that job with Lakey um, after leaving Pratt. So I guess that's, I guess to, to go a little bit deeper in the, the career saga, started at the ski shop um, and then eventually started working as a sub rep and then became a sales rep myself. So I was, um, you know, one of the early sales reps for Liberty skis, ran up and down the East coast, helping build that brand, having a lot of fun, meeting a lot of great people. And then that job was what really introduced me to the the folks at Pratt helmets. And that's really where I honestly feel like, even though it was only five years ago and, or I don't know, more than five years ago, but not that long ago when I got when I got linked up with the guys at Pratt Helmets, that was when I really started to feel like a true professional in the industry. And Pratt Helmets was like, I feel like Pratt Helmets is a pretty household name at this point. Five years ago, they were... No, we we built that. Like, I have no problem, like, patting myself on the back and taking some pride in that because that was, that was a really cool brief but just amazing journey with that company. You know, I, I honestly remember the day... The guy I was working with at the time said, "Hey, there's this new there's this new helmet company. What do you think about checking it out? Maybe selling some helmets?" And I said, "Absolutely not. If it's not a Smith or a Jiro helmet, it's probably garbage." You know, at that point in time, most of the helmets that were coming out on the market were they didn't fit well, they didn't have the correct features, and like you were wise to just get a Smith or Jiro helmet. Yeah, get the helmet that matches your goggles. But we got some samples, and the helmets looked great fit super well. They really put the time and energy into the R&D. And it's funny, the the growth with that company, it all came from networking. 
uh, Mark Featherstone, who's the the VP at Pratt still, he completely understood the way to get into the stores was to get on the the influencers first. And this was way before influencers were were truly a, a full blown thing. Influencers is like my favorite. But word we on the it was shop kids, shop owners, shop buyers, media people. And that was like that was really how we got it. We just like hooked up all the homies in every network that we could think of. And then you would get on a chairlift and you know, the <clears throat> excuse me, the editor from Outside Magazine and the editor from Ski Magazine would be wearing a a Pret helmet. And then the editor from Free Skier is there with not a Pret helmet. And he's like, Well, you know, what's the deal? Like, am, why am I the odd man out? And like that was the kind of word of mouth marketing that, that really got the, the company going. Only jacket of helmets. Yeah. And then beyond that, we had some really unique that they don't seem unique now, but these really unique, subtle things that made the brand stand out. And one was branding. Like we put the logo really big on the side of the helmet. And that was truthfully like someone inspired from ski racing, which is kind of funny because it's a cool freestyle oriented brand. But we knew if we were going to make a mark, we needed to make sure people knew that it was a Pret helmet. So put big branding on the side. We did uh, a rubberized coating that was very different at the time, kind of a neat tacky matte finish that they still do. And then the other thing that was very unique was we used a lot of different colors. And initially that was specifically, again, just to be seen as different. But it, it, it worked for us almost to our own surprise, where at the time you either bought a black helmet, a silver helmet, or maybe a white helmet. And that was it. Like if a shop bought in, brought in a couple bright colored helmets, maybe a green one or a blue one, it was just to break up the color on the wall. So it just wasn't a big wall of black. Um, but we started selling brightly colored helmets immediately. And again, I mean, now it doesn't really seem like that exciting or groundbreaking, but it was just so crazy that we changed the trend of like what was selling in helmets and, and kind of broke that mold a little bit. And the, the amount of traction that we got in such a short period of time um it's still really neat to to go anywhere in the country especially here on the east coast if you see a pret helmet in a lift line you know i I know personally that i had like a significant impact in in making that helmet appear there yeah and and you mentioned all the marketing but it was also a good product which helped oh yeah absolutely (laughs) no that it was uh i remember when they came out and you were handing them out to all the homies and I'd been with Smith for so many years and like I couldn't do it. I couldn't make the leap. And at that time I thought the Pret was definitely a superior product. And I think other helmet companies have caught up. But I remember having like this weird sensation of like FOMO or like, I don't know, everyone had it and I wanted it, but I was loyal and still am loyal to Smith because they've taken care of me forever. But it was, it was a neat, like you created this want especially with like a helmet that like, I don't, helmet's a helmet. Like it's a safety product that like, isn't usually like a bling factor. No, that's, it's funny. That's like exactly how I felt about it from the start and all the way through was like, it's a helmet. It's It's not that exciting. It's hard to sell safety. They, they are so well made. They're so lightweight and fit so well that like, I never thought I would transition, but like I would rather wear that helmet than a beanie. And yeah, I mean that's that's a perfect point. Like they just fit that well. 
Um, and this isn't a plug for Brett. This is just like an honest No, I'm not. Review. No, no, long, not no longer affiliated anyway. anyway. They're actually just, I mean, they are still good friends of mine. And it's funny, I had a recent, I did some recent contract work for a, a different company that makes helmets and wore those helmets for a season. And I, I, it was so funny what an emotional reaction I had when I was like putting my old Pret helmet away on the shelf and was like, well, it's been a good ride, bud. It's been it's been a good long ride. But now, thankfully, I'm back in my Pret helmet, so we're good. Hopefully, they can send me a commission check for all this nice plug. Same. We're accepting <laughs> sponsors for November. But yeah, so from Pret, um, moved on, and like again, this is why I say that I really feel like that's where I started my career, because at that point. I got that job the way most of us get most of our jobs. It's who you know and, and who you've met and along the way. Um, but from Pret, I moved on to Lakey, ski poles and hiking poles. And that was a really proud moment for me because that was a job that I got purely based on my resume. And that was, that was a really cool thing, like sitting down with those guys for the first time for the interview, going through my resume and being like, oh, wow, you did this with Red Bull and you did this with Pret and you did these other things. And I was like yeah, you know what? Like, I don't really sit back and think about it and give myself credit very often, but I was like, yeah, I'm fucking awesome. (laughs) I agree. I just updated my, well, over the last couple months, I've updated my resume because COVID kind of changed the world. And I'm like, oh, I've worked the Boston Marathon. I've worked Red Bull Signature Series. I've worked Ironmans. Like, I, I guess you don't know that you're saying yes to like these events and building like this ultimate career until you're, 30 something and you're like oh yeah i because qualified because in the moment you do it because you need to get you need to pay your rent it's a paycheck and usually you're doing it with friends and people that you've worked with in the past so like it just seems like another job and and then you know you were like successfully building to your career but it's fun to talk about because it's not it's not the normal path right like you're now the u.s u.s sales manager is that your official title uh u.s and canada okay north america north america yeah but like you're the north, like you're in charge of North America and sales for a major company, and like you didn't like go to traditional. You didn't go the traditional. I didn't go to college. Doing it, you went to some trade school, right? Or, I went to a two-year school to do X-rays, and I worked. I worked in a hospital for one year taking X-rays. Realized that was absolutely not for me. Quit that job and started managing the local ski shop, and. That's went what from it was. there. I knew it was. I knew you went to. You had some trade prior to this, but yeah, most people would think that you're the North American sales rep or sales manager, and you went to school for business, or you went to. So it's fun to hear people who are just like, "Oh no, I just like said yes to opportunities when they arose, and like I'm sure it sucked at times. I'm sure like oh, being sure. a sales rep is really cool when you have really great brands, but like." When you start being a sales rep, and I'm saying this because I don't know if everyone understands that, like those small brands, you're selling $10,000 worth of product and you're getting a $1,200 cut. I mean, I haven't worked lucky. I haven't worked for a company as a sales rep in close to 10 years, but I'm sure if you really followed the paper trail, I'm probably still paying credit card bills for sample bills. Like <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, it's horrible. It's I terrible. Hope, I hope you are not like doing that, you. But. I mean, I, we started the conversation like that. The the sales reps are the rock stars, and that's how everyone sees them. So even if you're not successful and you're not making money, like that was a break even. Pro- I mean, for ten years, that was a break even proposition. I worked a full time job, 
every win like on and off in the winter and every summer just so I could eat and then I could chase this this dream and it uh you know it's really hard because everyone everyone assumes that you're doing well and they need to assume that you're doing well so they want to do business with you like if it seems like you're not successful then they don't want to buy anything from you so even if you like don't know how you're gonna you don't know where you're gonna sleep tonight you're not sure how you're gonna put gas in the car when you go to the bar with all the shop kids like you have to pick up that bar tab because you're the man <laughs> you're like telling the secrets of that's, all the that's rest. yeah i'm like deflating dr- deflating dreams right now all the tricks right now um but yeah i mean and it was an absolute ride and i learned so much so like you know, I joke about hopefully I'm not actually still paying those sample bills, but you know, a lot of people my age are still paying their college tuition, and that was my college tuition. Yeah, and I don't, th- you know, I don't think people necessarily understand that. Like when a, if you're a shop kid and you're listening, and a rep gives you a pair of skis or a pair of goggles, ninety nine percent of the time that's coming out of their budget. Yeah, like Smith isn't giving the rep a hundred goggles to give away to shop kids. Like they're buying them at a sample cost and then seeding them to you, hoping that you will then make up that money. Yeah. And you, influence you wear those goggles, them. you get hyped on those goggles. Everyone that walks in the story, Hey, what kind of goggles do you wear? Oh, I wear Smith. You should buy a Smith. And that's the, that's the equation. That's the, the ROI on it. Yeah. But I, I really like to drive home that like these reps are paying for those. Oh yeah. They're not, they're not getting... Especially this day and age, I mean, it's it's gotten worse and worse. I don't want to say worse, but it's like it's gotten the balance has shifted more and more onto the sales reps over the last decade. There's not a lot that is given to sales reps. They they buy all their sales samples. If they're lucky, they work for a company that will let them return them at no cost if they're not used. But you know, you buy all these skis or helmets or goggles or whatever it is, and then one of the things that really sucks is you need to get you need to make the money back on those like it's not like some of it you give away and use it for seed and for promo and for sponsoring local kids like you said but like you need to get your money back on that so like on top of spending the entire season you know trying to sell product to the stores for the following year like that traditional sales cycle at some point in time you need to hit the ground and hit the pavement and try to figure out how you're going to sell all these you know all these samples you have these used skis that you need to sell and you know, luckily, they the obviously the sales reps get a a good discount, good price on those, so it's a little bit easier to make your money back. But still, like you don't necessarily have that's not how you pay your bills, so you don't have the time to do a yard sale or put them on eBay and then ship them. Or you know, I was always lucky that I had really good relationships with local shops, and I was able to sell most of my samples to you know one of the local ski shops. Yeah, it's. It's fun to talk about because you're just like, oh, this is this seems really cool. And then the deeper you dig, but I guess the flip side is we shouldn't just talk about the negatives. Like that rock star thing is still true. Like you get treated like a rock star. Like every ski shop you walk into, like you're the cool guy. Like everyone wants to hang out with you, high five you. So like it it boosts your ego, which is important to some people. Um, You get to travel travel the country, travel the area. You spend more time on snow than most people. You get to, I mean, you spend all of your days talking to people that are just as pumped and hyped about skiing as you are. I mean, that's that's the real payoff. If you had the choice to do it all again, would you do it all again? 
I would do it again, but hope hope that I have the knowledge that I have now and be able to do it a little bit more successfully. What would you do differently? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. You don't have to answer that. I have no, <laughs> probably pick up less bar tabs, and maybe be less cool. Yeah, go to bed. Not at eight. not worry quite as much about being the cool guy. Let's talk about function. So you just started this job three months ago, six months ago. So maybe? I started literally the week of Christmas. It was uh, it was kind of a silly start to it. Um, like I said, my boss Jay Jay Badge good good this our ceo at function good friend of mine for quite a long time he texted me on a thursday night at 11 p.m are you up Ooh, you got a sex yeah (laughs) it was the day that you and tyler and i went and skied ski denton so oh that was a great day we did this awesome backcountry ski day at a closed ski ski area in, in western pennsylvania adam and i and tyler that was on a previous episode had the best day ever. It was like great snow. None of us had done it before, so it was kind of an exploration mission. Yeah, it was like early season. They got like two foot of snow, and the place had been abandoned, but it had been cut and maintained. So it was like... Yeah. So I get home, absolutely worked from a day of just like post hauling and touring and skiing heavy, you know, Western New York pow. And I get home. It's close to midnight. You know, obviously a two-hour time difference between Colorado and New York. And I get this, are you up? I was like, uh, well, hey. depends on what your next question is. Hey. He's like, I guess the point of the time of night and the fact that we had worked very, very hard that day. So he calls me up. He's at the, So at the time I was working for Lakey, or I, my previous job was with Lakey as the, the national sales manager or sales and marketing something or other. And anyway, so I get this call. He's like, what do you think about think about getting back into sales it's like "Mm, i don't think so click (laughs) and he's like no really like we're uh we're hiring a sales manager you know i I know your work i really respect you like we've you know we've been friends for so long like is that something you'd want to do and i was like yeah maybe like just i was completely out of it like if you asked me in the middle of the day i would have been so excited to get that question but i was absolutely exhausted from a long day the last couple of jobs I had had been more marketing focused. So I just had really, I had self-labeled myself a marketing person. So the thought of becoming into sales again was like, it's like, no, I don't think that's me anymore. He's like, you know what, man, like go to bed, call me in the morning. So we spoke on Saturday, spoke on Friday, spoke on Saturday. I started on Monday and that was the Monday of Christmas. And, uh, it was such a cool, short, I don't even want to call it a learning curve, but like the reason I was in marketing was because marketing really interests me. Like people interest me. Why do people do the things they do? Like, why did you buy those sneakers? Why are you wearing that t-shirt? Like what, what makes your purchasing decision? And not even in like a hardcore business way, like more of like a sociology way. Like I just really, I walked down the street looking at everyone's sneakers and just wondering like what influences those choices. And so that was what made me so interested in marketing. But through that process, like there was all these skills that I was trying to learn on the job that I don't have. Like I'm not a photographer. I don't do design. I'm not skilled at Photoshop. All of the things you need for marketing. So I was working so hard (laughs) at these skills, like trying to learn skills and pretend that I have skills that I don't have. I'd like to think that it was working, 
But then all of a sudden I switched gears back into sales and I was like, oh, wow, like I'm built for this. Like there's no skill that I need to learn that I don't already have. It's this, you know, marketing and sales at the end of the day are, it's the same goal. Like we're trying to influence your sales decision. Yeah, one helps the other and vice versa. Yeah. Sales help marketing and marketing helps sales. And now because I think I am a natural born salesperson and I've spent a good part of my career focused on marketing in my brain, like I see the full picture and it's like, it's cool the way it works. And it's also really fun because I can, I can influence our marketing decisions. I can add my opinion, but they're not my responsibilities. Um, and the sales thing has been, um, you know, getting back into it has been actually just a blast, like cold calling all like cold calling ski shops. You also have a history with a lot of these East coast shops. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, it's your boy, Pat. How's it going? I'm selling shit again. <laughs> like, how does that, like, well, is that what's happened? That's what I picture well, it's, you calling. It's like, funny too. Cause I'm, I'm like inconsistently humble. I like to call myself the shy narcissist. I love that. I, so I will call people that I have a decade of history with and I'll be like, Hey, um, this is Pat. I'm not really sure if you remember me when I worked for Pratt and Lakey and Liberty. And they're like, yeah, dude. We know you. <laughs> We've spent thousands upon thousands of yeah. dollars with you, Patrick. And it's it has been super fun to remake those connections. It's been weird because obviously we've been in this last year has been, you know, COVID work from home. So all these connections are being remade over the phone or through Zoom. Um, absolutely thrilled to get back on the road here pretty soon. Yeah, I think I think we're almost back to normal. I was just in Kansas City and they are back to normal. It was scary. I was there for an event, and I, if I saw five masks out of 10,000 people, it was, like, semi-refreshing, but I don't know how to feel yet. I cannot believe how my personal experience, how quickly I've turned the corner on going back to normal. I think I feel like, personally, I was the most serious, the most cautious out of my, my small friend group. I took it all very, very seriously. And for some reason, I think part of it's working in the ski industry. I put this very bizarre, like, responsibility on myself, which probably wasn't healthy. But I felt like I needed to lead by example. Not really sure who I thought I was leading or who I was trying to. But I just felt that I needed to do everything, like, correctly and be responsible all the time. And it's obviously was hard and stressful, just like it was for, you know, everybody else. And I slowly, I'm, a, I'm an extremely social person. I'm never home. I never sit still. And I slowly just like dialed it back and dialed it back. To, there was a point where like, I don't think I talked to anyone for like a month. And I didn't do it on purpose. It was just like this weird natural progression. And all of a sudden I realized I turned into like this weird shut-in. And then when things started changing, I was honestly like, pretty concerned with like how I was going to handle going back out into the world like was it going to be like very like anxious like trouble with that or was it going to be okay and it's just been like a light switch I'm so happy to like be back to my life and um it's funny I had a conversation with somebody the other day where I was like yeah it's nice that the world is is all back to normal now and they're like well it's not and I was like "No, no 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 like don't don't misconstrue my words like I understand where we're at like this is this is a process we need to stay you know, vigilant, but I mean, the, the vaccine did 
what it was supposed to do. I feel like I have a security blanket. I feel safe. And I'm, you know, I'm still cautious. I'm still washing my hands. And, you know, I, I kind of learned throughout all this, like, these were all skills that I was already practicing. Like, right. stay out of my bubble. <laughs> like, uh, Yeah, I want six feet all the time. I love six feet, like, no matter what. So I'm pretty pumped on that. But I also feel with the vaccine, and I don't want, I mean, we talk about this a little bit on every episode, but, like, I did my due diligence. Like, I, I've been saying I'm taxed and vaxxed. Like, mm-hmm. I pay taxes, and I got vaccinated government. So, like, I got to live. I got to go outside. And my outside life and your outside life, besides, like, concerts, which, like, you know, are happening, and that's yeah. really exciting. But, like, my outside life is skiing and mountain biking and dirt biking, and yours is hiking and mountain biking and skiing. Like, we're pretty spaced anyway, yeah. besides the occasional hug and, like, you know. And we're all dirtbags, so that's a little change of pace. But it's... I don't know. I feel like it's time. And I guess time doesn't, you know, there's still people who are sick and like we have to be conscious, but we well, have to. It's like um, here in Buffalo, we had Buffalo Porch Fest this past weekend, which is a not citywide, but like mostly in one neighborhood that's close to downtown where a bunch of different people host bands on their porches and they do it every year. Yeah, Last... It's like a music festival hosted by the house. Yeah. It's like a community. A it's like a community music festival. It's like not super organized it's pretty loose like you can you know you can email them and let them know like hey i'm gonna have this band at this time on my porch at this address and it was canceled last year so this is like the probably the first real kind of public event in buffalo since the restrictions have been been going away and it was so massive like probably bigger than ever has been before because everyone's got all this pent up like energy ready to have a good time and um, it was just so fun. There was, um, at three o'clock on Saturday, two of the guys from local band Aqueous were playing on a porch and that was definitely like turned into like a pretty big congregation spot. And there was one point in time where I was just like, you know, tapping my foot, drinking a beer, watching the band, just enjoying the weather, smile on my face. And all of a sudden I kind of looked, you know, looked left, looked right and realized I was standing in the middle of a crowd of a couple hundred people with no masks and extremely okay with it and that's amazing that was that's what we should be doing yeah right? of, of the entire day of like that was kind of the vibe of the entire day that was the one only split second moment where i had any thought whatsoever about what the last what's gone down the last year which is so refreshing yeah it's it's fun it's nice it's refreshing i think we're there uh, you know, there's still a couple places that want masks, and I respect that. And I'll wear a mask anywhere they ask me to wear a mask. But, like, it's nice. We need to move on. We need to move forward. And I hope I hope that people learn from this. And in so many ways. Like, I hope that people continue to, like, go outside and go for hikes. Like, guys, you could have done that prior to, like, to COVID, to a global pandemic. People are like... Like the trails are trails are up like thirty percent, and mountain yeah. bike sales are up thirty percent. Like, guys, we can keep doing this. Like, let's not forget all the times that you called your friends and went for a hike, and you can still drink a beer on your hike. Like, but like, go outside and have fun. So those are like the good things that I think came out of it, and I hope people learn just to respect other people and their opinions. And I'm learning that too. Like, because I don't agree with you and I have most of the same yeah. thoughts, but like. Can we just learn to like have conversations and like, I think this year 
proved that we can have conversations. I've, I definitely feel that. Like There have been points, obviously, in the last year where it became extremely difficult to have conversations with almost anybody. And I think that has been part of at least my personal like growth and learning experience. It's like getting back to where you can have good, friendly discourse with people that you don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, it's it's fun to learn again. And I know that's a horrible thing to like. We had a horrible last 15 months. But like, I feel like I've learned more about my friends, my family, myself in the last 15 months because of like the situations it put us in whether it just be like you like being alone in your house for a month when we both travel a ton this is the longest i've been home in probably 15 years oh yes it was such a cool i mean it it started rocky but like it was such a cool experience for me personally like i said like i don't sit still yeah like i'm sitting in your house and your plants aren't dead thank you that's the first time i've ever seen that in your house but like it's all jokes aside like it's you got to like take care of yourself and i hope everyone did and like we went on and this is my segue to our bike trip we went on a bike trip from bicycle gravel bikes from pittsburgh to dc and back and when in our lives are we going to have six 30 plus year old humans who all have real jobs or ski job i shouldn't say real jobs but we all have jobs yeah that can take 10 days and go for a bike trip like well that was i mean obviously just the trip in itself was an absolute blast but i think I mean, you just nailed it with that attitude and vibe. And I think we all had that. Like, it was a really neat, like, it was an adventure. And you had that adventure spirit. But also, like, there was just this, this like, aura of, like, gratitude the entire way. Where, like, I don't know, at least me personally, and I felt like everyone else, like, appreciated every moment. Like, yeah, even the bad times. Being out of the house, doing stuff with friends, like coordinating with group dynamics and the friction and oh it was awesome and i'll be the first to admit it like i am i am a friction person i'm sandpaper like i am rough adam's stubborn folks yeah i'm extreme (laughs) but like but that goes back to learning and like this guy matt and i who was on the trip matt's our friend like we butted heads a lot because his brain is so much different than my brain and like when we got done people were like are you guys friends Matt and I are like closer than we've ever been. And that's, I don't know if five years ago I would have, five years ago if Matt and I would have went on that trip, we probably probably wouldn't be friends. And like now we're closer friends because like he knows I'm way different brain than he is. And I know he's way different brain. But like the fact that we got to go on this trip and just like butt heads and have fun and like, you know, we're on a bike trip. It's 90 degrees. We have headaches. We're sweating. We're tired. We're hungry. We're out of shape we're in shape we're like there's so many our bikes suck our bikes work we get flat tires we don't like that dynamic was my favorite thing about that trip was i've done a, f- a few trips similar to that now and i've what i've learned through the series of them is the flat tire always picks one person or two like it's always the same person getting a flat over and over and over again and to my I, to no fault of their own, I don't think. Like the first trip, I think it was me. We, that other trip united a few yeah. years back, and like this past time, unfortunately, it was Tyler. It was Tyler, and that's there's nothing you can do. And Tyler had the newest bike in the group, and that's. And by the way, Pat doesn't care about anything, which is like the most frustrating thing when you go on a bike <laughs> trip or any trip. 
Like, I'm blowing a head gasket because I can't handle things not being on time and on schedule because I'm usually the planner. And Pat's, like... Climbing a tree, making a sandwich. Yeah. Pat's the, <laughs> the, the sloth. Not, I don't mean a sloth, but, like, just having a good time in the tree. And I'm like, what? So it's really fun to travel with Pat because you need someone like that in your group. But, yeah, it is true. Someone always gets, like, the short end of the stick. Like, someone always gets the flat or someone always... Well, at that point in time, I don't I don't remember what month we went, but we were we we're a fair amount into staying at home, and I was bound and determined to enjoy every single moment of that trip, and I absolutely did. Yeah, same, I mean, even with my blowing a head gasket, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Like, but we're going we're it. going to right? We've got the, we've got our yeah, we've Sierra got trip, Nevada trip coming up. Sierra Nevada trip coming up. We're doing a short weekend. Uh, I need to answer that email. So sorry, Sarah <laughs> and Pat, if you're listening to this. Uh, but yeah, we're going to do another quick bike trip, just a two-nighter. Uh, what do you have going on this summer? Anything? Man, this summer is like fast and furious. I actually jump on a plane tomorrow for the first time in like 14 months to head out to Denver to actually start putting the groundwork together to make my move out there permanently with function. Um, so little bit of uh, planning and coordination and then some meetings with some of our accounts and obviously have some fun while I'm out there, do some mountain biking and hiking. And then as soon as I get back from that, I've got a couple of, you know, about a month and a half of, of time before I make that permanent move. So I'm trying to get some family camping in, doing some trip with you guys, um, maybe some local music if I can squeeze it in. Then obviously we have our do a weekly bike ride or semi-weekly bike ride called the Schmedium Roll. So we got to make sure we get those get those rides in. <laughs> what is the Schmedium Roll? So the Schmedium Roll is a satirical protest ride to the slow roll. And if you're not familiar with the slow roll, it's actually a really amazing. I don't know if organization is the right word, but it's. I think it started in Chicago. It's spread to a lot of cities across the country. It Chicago or Detroit? Yeah, one of those. One of those. Basically, the premise is um, they organize these group rides at a very slow pace so anyone can go and anyone can keep up. And it's taking people to like different parts of the city where you might not be comfortable going on your own. So you're getting to see a little bit more of the city. Um, it's, you know, it's getting communities to kind of intertwine a little bit more. It's just got a really great, amazing concept and community vibe behind it. But. On paper. <laughs> On but. paper. In reality, if you live in said city, especially if you live in maybe the poorer part of that city like I do, what it turns into is a bunch of suburbanites coming in, taking all the parking and blocking city intersections for 30, 40 minutes at a time. And they ride at such a slow pace that if you are an cycling enthusiast it's pretty aggravating hence the creation of our satirical protest ride the schmedium roll so we get i don't know it's usually six to twelve friends we've got a facebook group that's over 100 people now but it's usually about a dozen people that show up we do it almost weekly either tuesday wednesday or thursday and it's like it's a cool after work thing meet up around six o'clock and we pretty much pick our ride based on who shows up. If you've got if you've got some people with legs that want to put some miles in, we might ride to Niagara Falls and back and get like a good like twenty or forty mile ride in. If it's some people that 
don't ride a lot or just got a new bike or very uncomfortable riding in the city, we'll make sure we keep it super light and stay on the bike paths. Might just turn into a bar crawl if that's the crowd. Or, um, you know, a lot of times we'll, since there's a lot of live music going on in the city, most of the time we'll do like a little bit of a hybrid ride where we'll get five or six, five or 10 miles in and then we'll go stop at a, you know, a canal side concert and see music and then part ways from there. Yeah, I love anything that's built out of spite, personally. So it's one of my favorite things. And you shine a light that, like, we created this, and I yeah. kind of forgot because I haven't been there. Uh, yeah, I this was city, this so. was years, five or six years ago. Adam made me commit to riding every Tuesday because that's what friends should do. And I did, and he never showed up even once. Maybe once. Yeah, I've been to, like, <laughs> three total of my – once it got – once it got organized, I was out. So I might have done three, two or three. Well, it's funny. Like I, I realized this about it and about myself is because of my background in event marketing and because of just loving it, I will make these extremely elaborate events on Facebook. That's like, yeah, I'll have it'll have a name and a theme, and like one of our buddies is a graphic designer, so he'll whip me up a quick cover page, and I'll write a big description about like what we're gonna do and what to expect and how much fun it's gonna be. I think because of all that, that's why no one shows up because they think it's like a thing, but it's not a thing. It's literally like five idiots riding to the bar and back. Yeah, but it showcases like we go to like Buffalo, like murals and like we do a ton of cool stuff. But you're also the guy who like I'll talk to that day in the morning and you won't mention it at, like, in that <laughs> conversation. And they'll be like, oh, I invited you on Facebook. But like, so fuck you, Pat. For I know. That. That's that's the second f bomb for those keeping score. I'm trying to keep it under five in this conversation. I don't swear that much on this podcast, but it's okay. I like that I can bring it out of you. Yeah, you're a lot. I mean, we're allowed to. It's on the internet. You can do whatever you want. But yeah, Schmedium Roll is pretty fun. Uh, Any musical festivals lined up? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, there's actually there's stuff going on and it's happening pretty quickly. Um, unfortunately, with with me moving my my time is at a premium. I'm hoping to fly back for Resonance Music Festival, which moved to West Virginia this year. Um, but yeah, it's weird. That's typically my summer plans are like hit as many music festivals and and concerts as possible. And, uh, you know, being removed from that for an entire year, I guess is somewhat helpful because I don't really have the time for it this summer. But definitely get in what I can. Like there was, like I said, the Porch Fest was this past weekend, and there's been some concerts, and um, got got some pretty good friends that are traveling DJs that are starting to make it. My buddy Nautix, little shout out to Nautix. Um, my buddy Will is in a local band called Space Junk that that plays around here quite a bit, and um, kind of just winging it. It's uh, it's weird how having a couple of things on the calendar and then a move planned for, for August suddenly don't feel like I have a lot of control over my personal time. Yeah. Like August is far away, but it's also like not a burden, but like you have a lot to do from now till then. Yeah. And, and one, like on one hand, I wish it was not until October. And then on the flip side, I wish it was just tomorrow. Right. Like, you I, gotta... I very much want to spend another summer in Buffalo. Like this is Buffalo is like one of the most amazing places you could ever spend your summers. Like tons of stuff to do. It's a great bike city because it's flat. And being on the the east side of Lake Erie, we've got one of the best sunsets on the east coast. So I, so I want to enjoy that one more summer. But at the same time, it's like 
knowing knowing what comes next and knowing what you're headed to it's like kind of just want to jump head first into it i have a question for you oh i'm ready <laughs> it's not that loaded what's one thing you have to bring to a music festival earplugs oh i wouldn't have thought of that that makes sense <laughs> caveat i bring them to every single show and they almost never make it out of my pocket yeah but you have them you have to. Matters. Your hearing's important, and I know I've I know that I've not done myself any favors. What Although, is, go ahead. Earplugs, water, or I guess you can buy it there. Chewing gum, good footwear. Basically, music festivals are endurance sports. So, <laughs> do you have like gels and goos in your? I I've started to. So we didn't talk about Lakey very much yet. So. Just prior to working for Function, where I worked for Lakey for three and a half years as their marketing and media relations manager. And one of the main things that I did with my time in the last three years, I spent almost the majority of every summer at long distance trail running marathons um, like Leadville 100, Bigfoot 200 out in the Northwest, and like other 50, 100, and, and 100 mile races. And the parallels between long distance marathon running and music festivals is uncanny. It's all about nutrition, sleep deprivation, a lot of hallucinating. <laughs> like it's Footwear. it's literally goes hand in hand. Like so I used to just go to these festivals like any other kid with no real plan. And then I spent all this time at these at these long distance trail running events and I was like, wow, the experience is like very on par like i'm gonna pay attention to their nutrition program a little bit and their footwear and like you're handing out like chicken broth midway through the race exactly or through the festival like here have some you need this this is so yeah i'm literally like up front at the stage shaking my shaking my booty having a good time like taking a couple blocks and a goose so i don't bonk mid-set No, it was so funny. Like I would sit at the finish line, like listening to these people talk, like once they get across the finish line, talking about how their race went and like, they're like, oh man, like I didn't know if I was going to make it. Like I got really dehydrated and my calves started to cramp up. I'm like, yeah, I know that feeling. I've been there. He's like, and then like I was in the middle of the trail and like, I saw like, I saw my aunt show up and she was asking me if I wanted some food. I was like, just hallucinating. And then there was like these snakes, but I I was like, yeah, I know that feeling too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's I just did. bizarre like how similar they are yeah it's a i mean it's a three-day festival it's a it's an endurance race it's you versus everyone else there and you're trying to survive while burning a ton of calories and i've never correlated it to like an actual race but it, i mean it makes sense when yeah. you say it like that but no the the lakey experience was a lot of fun too um that was, uh, like I said earlier, getting that job was one of the first jobs that I ever got that I felt like was completely on merit and not based on who you know. And it was it was such a fun experience because um, Greg Wozer, the VP of, of the United States for Lakey USA, that guy has been with Lakey for 30 plus years and probably more knows more about ski poles and trekking poles than, than anyone else on the face of the earth. So, you know, getting to spend some time with that guy and and absorb some of his knowledge was great. Um, It also, it really gave me a lot of confidence in myself and opened my horizons because I had always very specifically pegged myself as a a ski industry person. Um, 
which the ski industry is tiny compared to almost any other industry. And not that outdoor is that much bigger, but switch switching into Lakey, um, still in the ski industry, but also in that outdoor sphere and just really exposed me to so many new things like these, um, like outdoor experience festivals that happen in the summer times, going to like the Appalachian trail days, um, and just, just a whole new world of magazines, like outside magazine. And, um, it was just a really cool, you know, like I said earlier, it felt very, a little bit out of my element at times with having to learn these new skill sets on the fly, but it was just such an amazing, uh, you know, opportunity to, to get to new, meet new people and, and get to learn those experiences. And now that I've, now that I've shifted gears back into the ski industry with function, um, it's like so rewarding in every way. Cause I'm back in my comfort zone, but I left for a while. I learned new skills I met new people. And I feel like I bring so much more to the table with function than I would have been able to five years ago. And now we just launched a new mask last week, um, our new outdoor ultralight mask which is a lightweight, recycled, made of recycled water bottles, summertime mask, UV rated. And that is for us as a brand, like total fish out of water, like new, new customer, new product, new world. But I feel uniquely ready to take on that challenge because I have the last three plus years working with, with the people at Lakey. Yeah. And I think the Lakey job, and I worked with you on some of the Lakey projects, uh, you were it was like out of your element but within your element but also like you had never created ads for magazines Mm -hmm. you had never so i remember you like coming up to me with like a shitty piece of paper and like a sketch of like a stick figure and like so it was cool to one help you make those ideas come to life and we ended up making a print ad that rolled in i don't know every yeah every ski magazine that existed at the time but like now that you're with function and you're talking to the marketing manager, you understand why they're doing those things. Like it's just prepped you for what's next, which is cool to one, watch it as your friend, but two, see it like you not walk into this role, but like you didn't apply for this job at function. You didn't like he, Jay, he knew who you were, knew what you did, knew your work ethic and saw what you did at Lakey and like offered you a position that, it wasn't a sympathy offer. It was no. like, hey, you're ready for this role. No, and I should say, like, I mean, that is that is proof. Like, invest in your network and invest in your friendships. Like, I mean, f- so full disclosure, the reason I was no longer with Lakey was I did lose my job due to COVID. Myself and another gentleman were, were cut as part of a restructuring, um, which was, you know, definitely stung a bit. Um, actually, the irony of it that I love to tell just because I love sympathy is – the weekend before I had been in Vermont, um, for the high fives golf tournament, had a, it was like the first time I had left my house in seven months, went up, played golf with Roy from high fives and Jesse from Vermont North ski shop and just had an absolute blast, like good old times type of deal with masks, of course. And then I came home, moved into a brand new apartment. The month, the very first Monday in my new apartment, I found out that I was losing my job, which is somewhat devastating. Then the following Monday, my first day of unemployment was my birthday, which was like, that's, that is like, that's how I would want that to happen though. Like that's the like worldly, like tragic irony that I love. And that makes me able to laugh at myself. 
So I had, you know, maybe a week of feeling a little bummed out, but then I like rebounded super fast. And like, same point you made about that bike trip, like I recognized when again in my life, am I going to have the time and the space to like do nothing or work on myself? So I ended up having two months off. Um, you know, thankfully I had saved and planned and there was, you know, some unemployment benefits to help out. So I was able to, able to meagerly make my way through. Um, but I guess point is during that time, I've spent most of that time on like myself, self-reflection, just trying to like better myself a little bit, not necessarily immediately focused on what my next career move was going to be. But in that time period, Roy from High Fives was literally out looking for jobs for me and like sending people my way. Like I had people in my network that were trying to find me a job because one, they cared about my future and two, they wanted to be able to continue to work with me. And, and that was how somewhat how this function thing came to be. Um, and it was, a, it was a bit random. Um, Jay had actually called me a week prior to just say, hey, shoot the shit because we hadn't talked in a while. And that was when I let him know what was going on with me. And, uh, you know, he didn't say much at the time, but then he hung up and probably probably mar- let it marinate for yeah, a few days. Yeah, he put a thought in his head for sure. And called me back and, like I said, asked me what I felt about getting back into sales and and then jumped after a few conversations, jumped at it and really hit the ground running. And I've just been running as fast as I can since January. Yeah, it's one of those things that's always like when it happens, it's hard to think that this is probably better. But now, like in hindsight, you're like being let go at Lakey could arguably be one of the greater things that's happened to you because now it's the next step. Oh, absolutely. And like there's no I love Lakey. You love Lakey. Great company. Like the, the times were tough. It was a mess. Like it, we're rebuilding and things are coming back to normal. But like. People have to get cut and people lost their jobs. And unfortunately, you were part of that. And I'm sure maybe, and I'm putting words in your mouth, but like maybe you were spiteful or maybe you were mad or didn't understand. But now, six months later, it's like, oh. I'm well, gonna- I mean, I had, I mean, I've had a conversation. I still speak with them. Um, I literally, we actually just made some face masks for them. And the, you know, the, the person that's doing marketing now is a friend of mine. He was the team manager while I was there and it's a person that I respect quite a bit. And, uh, you know, he's, he's actually going to be here in Buffalo next month for some meetings cause, cause Lake, he's located here in Buffalo. And, you know, I, I'm pretty honest about the way I feel about most things sometimes to a fault. And I was pretty blunt. It's like, I will never feel good about how I got let go. Like when you lose a job, not as your choice, yeah, you dedicate like you're never going to feel great about that. No matter that. where you work. Like, but I don't hold up anybody personal like there's no animosity like it's not personal i have nothing against any of the people there or the business itself like those are all pretty irrelevant in the end of it like yeah they're just it goes back to what you said about like relationships like greg is an amazing human the vp at lakey and like you have that relationship and with your job now like now you're selling them masks and now like it all comes full circle and that's how life kind of should one one, like I said earlier, the ski industry is tiny. So you really, anybody that knows anything about the ski industry and wants a future, you cannot burn bridges. And beyond that, like 
it's a small world as well. But even, I mean, me personally, like I, I have a finite, finite amount of energy to give and I want to put it all towards like positive things. So I don't waste any energy on holding grudges, you know, hating people or hating on people. Like just don't have room for that sort of negativity. I wish I had that. It's how, dude, it's exhausting. Like, how can you hold grudges against people? I just don't have. It's how I come. I'm, I'm, I'm too lazy. That's what it is. It's like, it's not like, it's not like some righteous thing. I'm like, I don't have the time or the energy towards things that are not making me happy. Yeah. I wish I had that. I don't. I'm hateful. Person. <laughs> That's why I have you in my life. That's the yeah. balance. No, I just like letting it. I just like calling things what they are. That's it. It's not really hate. I just can't. Like, oh, I mean, I will call anybody out. Yeah, that's I will, where I'm at. I will I talk like, shit for days about literally anything. Yeah, but. that'll be our next podcast. We'll just talk shit on everything. We can talk about what's wrong with this ski industry. If you got me going about <laughs> the learning experience, you would think that I don't like skiing. Well, we went to one. We went to the Boston, uh, at the Boston Ski Show. They did like, SIA did like yep. a... What do they call it? It was like an open they do forum. These town halls. Town hall. And we, just, were, we just did a virtual one last week, actually. It was basically, and I'll say it so Pat doesn't have to, it was basically a bunch of old rich people who work for the ski industry who were like, I don't understand why num- this was a couple of years ago, why numbers are down and people aren't going skiing and people in the city aren't going skiing. And, and Pat and I were the youngest kids there at low 30s at the time, like painfully raising our hand being like look around this room you guys are all old rich people and again these are my words not pats but like you're not inviting these people to ski and it's so intimidating and so scary and so insanely expensive for a first timer to go out and then they go off for 10 minutes they have a bad time and they're done and that's my opinion on it but like oh the way we teach people how to ski is brutal like you got to First of all, waiting in line to get rentals is like the worst, <clears throat> the worst experience ever. I just personally hate any, but also any line, right? Like it's crazy intimidating. None of the signage at the resort makes sense unless you already know where you're going. And but yeah, that was not the same t- town hall that we went to, but another one that I had gone to previously. <clears throat> the uh, the keynote speaker was this gentleman that was from the the Brotherhood of Skiers, which is this massive ski club i think i forget i think they're maybe out of chicago as well but he he told this great story of how they introduce new members to skiing and they will take them and take them to the ski area you know get them set up in the hotel or whatever they go get their rental gear they go take a lesson they do maybe like a couple of runs until lunch and then they take them to the bar for the rest of the weekend and like this guy told this story and you're like kind of like looking at him side eye like what do you mean he's like that guy goes home and we're like, how was your ski trip? He's like, oh my God, best weekend it's ever. Amazing. I don't remember most of it. I can't wait to do it again. And like, that was like, that was such a eureka light bulb moment for me. It's like, oh, positive associations. Like, And skiing is social. Skiing yeah. is so much so more social than we understand. Like we think about it and we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But like. It's so social. And it's like when I teach people how to ski or I try to get friends into skiing like you know the the fashion and the gear is a big part of it but like that's kind of part of what makes it fun like I always just joke and tell people like as long as you look good you just got to get up and down the lift maybe once or twice and then you could be on the bar stool the rest of the time looking good but like 
you break down the intimidation. You like, you just, you don't have no, like there's this expectation that you like instantly have to be a skier. I'm going to be a skier. You're going to be good at it. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, let's just get you out there. Let's get you out of the house, get you up and down the lift a couple of times. And then like, you want to keep doing runs? We'll do more runs. You want to go grab some dinner? We'll get dinner. Like, this doesn't have to be like some brutal like marathon. Like, this is supposed it's to be fun. fun. It's just sliding. We I had Patty on the Patty O'Connell on the podcast, and it was just like, we're just sliding down snow. Whether you're on ski boards, telemark skis, downhill skis, snowboard. <laughs> Dude, that's what I love. I don't I don't get to go very often anymore, but that's what I've always loved about cross country skiing. Is there's no bullshit. Like and you it's put hard. these things on your feet and you walk out the back door. It could be that's yeah. all there needs to be to it. It's yeah, there's not much more to it. And it's it's funny that you talked about the fashion because it it is so much of skiing and I hate it. I wish I could just be like the duct tape guy, but I can't. Like I think you sent me a meme yesterday or someone did in a group chat. It was like me picking my college degree, and it was a guy blindfolded just throwing a dart at the board. Yeah. And then it was like me picking out my spring kit, and it was like 15 screens and like a yeah, hacker. Basically, Charlie from Always Sunny with all the strings and everything. Yeah. Like it's, and it's so true because it's so much fashion as it is function and just, but really at the end of the day, it's just like we're just sliding down snow and having fun with our friends, and beginners are so intimidated by it because. So it's nice to have like a, a, you know, a sport professional as yourself, an industry professional, just be like, dude, I'm not like, because people say you're good, you're good. And you're like, dude, it doesn't matter. I'll go no. and like laugh my ass off going down the bunny hill with you. Like it doesn't. I just want to share my oh, passion. Dude, same. Like I, I, share I love, this. love getting people to go out for the first time or, or even beyond the first time, like actually getting hooked and like. There's always that funny, like they start to feel guilty because they're they're like monopolizing your time, and it's like no, no, no. I would really rather spend the entire day on this bunny slope with you, smiling, watching you learn, than ripping turns by myself or ripping turns with a buddy. Like I can do that any day of the week. This is a fun experience. Like I'm sharing what I love and getting someone else to love it as much as I do. Yeah, I've arguably ruined my entire life to do this thing that we're doing right yeah. now. Like not this podcast, the skiing. Like I went to college, I did all that. And then I found skiing and I was like, Oh fuck all of that three. Uh, <laughs> I want to do this. So anytime I can get anybody else to do it and they're like, Oh, I'm slowing you down. I'm like, no, no, no. I've ruined my entire life. Yeah. I've been on this whole mountain. I don't spend any time on this trail. This is perfect. This is amazing. I have ruined my entire life up until this date. slept in vehicles more than most humans have ever in their entire lives just so I can slide down this stupid hill. So like, I'm having a great time. <laughs> Dude, it's, that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, whether it's skiing or biking or hiking, like I love sharing what I enjoy. Yeah. And I'm back in the mountain bike game and I've got you to get your bike out again. So we're going to go around. Oh, I know. Week. I'm so scared and nervous, but I'm so excited. Invested in a very nice mountain bike <laughs> five years ago and I've ridden it five times. Yeah, but you got to have it. Now you have it. So that's all that matters. The hard part is getting it. Once you have it, then you can ride it when you want. But we're going to ride, and it'll be great. Uh, Pat, any last words? Where can people follow you on Instagram? Uh, you're moving to Denver. So anyone in Denver listening to this, you're going to have a new best friend. Pat moves there in August. Yeah, I need friends. <laughs> yeah, moving moving to Denver specifically 
because of this new opportunity with Function. Um, I guess I will plug them a little bit better real quick. You know, the reason beyond just being like a great job and great for me, the reason I'm so absolutely fucking thrilled, number four, to be with this company is it's a bunch of fun people that are building a product completely based on sustainability. So we make all of our neck tubes are made out of recycled water bottles. We get all of our raw materials from a knitting mill right here in the United States. So we're not, you know, shipping back and forth across the ocean using fossil fuels. And the number one most important thing to me personally is these are made in Denver by our employees by hand in our own factory by people that are getting paid a living wage with benefits. So the fact that I found a great job that fits my personality and is finally getting me to fulfill my ski bum dream of moving to the mountains, but it actually checks the boxes of like things that are extremely important to me, um, like inclusion and sustainability. Um, you know, I, I truth, truly feel like I've manifested this like dream job for myself and my boss is one of my best friends in the ski industry. It's like, it's like a pinch me type of scenario. So absolutely hyped to be to moving be moving out there for that reason. Um, if you want to follow me on social media to boost my uh, my ego a little bit, it's uh, at top hat pat, and that's underscores so top underscore hat underscore pat. And I will actually say that Adam's girlfriend Jess is the one that gave me that name, and uh, I think that's about it for me. Well, thanks, Pat, for this is my first in-person interview. So, ever? Yeah, you're my. Oh yeah, it's COVID, dude. This is like we're all we're like we're vaccinated. We have like the same bubble, so we're like comfortable and. Well, I'm, je- yeah, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Jealous of your other guests, and I have to look at your ugly mug. Well, they have to look at me, but just on Zoom, <laughs> which might be worse. But it's so much. It's so nice to actually have like a human conversation, and I'm glad I could do it with you because it's comfortable and it's fun. Uh, so thank you for taking the time. Thank you for taking the living room. Or no, this is awesome, man. I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I'm super proud of what you're doing. Like you're crushing it. Been a fan of the pod and and jabber for a while. And, uh, just like I said, the shy narcissist, I don't always like to talk about myself, but I, I do like to talk. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, Pat. Anytime. Thanks, man. That was episode 19 of the pursuit with Mr. Adam X on the Out of Bounds Network, and Patrick Meehan. Follow him at top underscore hat underscore Pat. I love that dude. Uh, He's just a great human. I love that he's finally catching some big breaks in the industry. I can't wait to see where this role takes him next. Again, he's a close homie of mine. Pat, thank you so much for being on the show. Friends, thank you for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, share this, tell your friends about it. Drink Sierra Nevada. I think that's it. Enjoy the 4th of July weekend. Enjoy yourselves. We'll see you out there.